Hey, y'all. It's John. Before I get into the show today, I want to start off by sending my love to the city of Nashville, and especially all the amazing keepers and zoo staff I've gotten to know there. As you probably know, there was a Christmas Day bombing in Nashville, and, as I record this, there still isn't much known about what happened. That said, as a musician, I have always had a great love for Nashville. And then, when I started my podcast, some of the first people who were willing to talk to me and help me grow it were the amazing staff members at the Nashville Zoo at Grasmere. In fact, I love Nashville so much, I recently did two more interviews there that I was going to release early next year. Instead, I'm moving them up to this week to try to share a little bit of the joy that city always brings me. So, this one goes out to all my loves in Nashville, human and animal, whether I know you from the zoo world or the music world. Stay strong, stay safe, and know that you're loved. There's so much more to animals and to what we do than just facts. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello! Welcome back to the podcast that would have a very different title if my last name was Chesterfield, the Rossafari Podcast. Today's episode has everything in it, from a branch of psychology you may have never heard of, to a discussion of a controversial film, to a tip for how to make sure you appease the tooth fairy. Oh, we also have some stuff about animals and zoos and conservation, you know, stuff like that. Speaking of animals and zoos and conservation and stuff like that, don't forget to check out at Rossafari on Instagram and Facebook to see my daily stories and pics from the zoos and aquariums I visit. You can also see them and check out some additional information about me at rossafari.com. Of course, the best way to support the podcast is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash rossafari. There is some merch available at rossafari.redbubble.com, and don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you're able to take the time to leave a five-star rating and a review, it would mean a lot to me. All right, so today I'm taking you back to the Nashville Zoo at Grasmere to talk to Taylor Ballard. Taylor is the Education Programs Coordinator and an Education Specialist at the zoo, which is a very different job than many of the education or ambassador keepers you've already heard on this podcast. In fact, Taylor isn't a keeper at all, though she does get to work with animals a ton. Along with explaining these two titles to you, Taylor will also tell you about being an anthrozoologist, which is, well, I'll let her explain it in the interview. Before we get started here, I have to embarrass Taylor a little bit with a quick story. Taylor has been a fan of the podcast and Instagram for a while, but we only recently met each other. I was at the Nashville Zoo to interview Lauren Lott for episode 41, and I walked into the kangaroo walkthrough to talk to Lauren. I saw her from a distance, having an intense-looking conversation with another young woman who was holding some recording gear. I stayed away, not wanting to interrupt, but Lauren saw me and waved. At that point, she introduced me to Taylor, saying, This is John, the host of the podcast I'm doing an interview for. Taylor asked the name of the show, and when I said, The Rossafari Podcast, she lost it. Full-on screaming and giggling and fangirling. Turns out she was not only a huge fan, but had actually started downloading my most recent episode in her office right before heading out to talk to Lauren. The whole thing was hilarious and very surreal to me, but we quickly bonded and have become good friends. Still, I had to tell the story. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Taylor Ballard, anthrozoologist, crazy fangirl, and the education programs coordinator at the Nashville Zoo at Grasmere. So, Taylor, tell me who you are, where you work, and what you do there. Yes, yeah, so my name is Taylor. I am currently at the Nashville Zoo as their education programs coordinator, 
slash education specialist. What that means, you know as well as I do, because I do a bit of everything, um, a big part of what I have been doing uh, in recent months is coordinating new types of programming. So we started a new university program um, that was virtual, of course, because we had to adapt to the times as well. Um, We have started a Zoo Venture program, which is a virtual program for schools. And then I have started collecting and building just a database of really cool behind the scenes um, content that we can share with people when we choose or when they ask for it. But it's something that we have in our back pocket because that's not something that we had before. So building a digital resource library for whoever it is that wants to connect in some way and having that available when they want it. Very cool. That's awesome. Let me ask you a little something about that. So you're talking about behind the scenes stuff. And a lot Mm -hmm. of zoos are very secretive about their BTS stuff. Um, Yes. Especially in light of of Blackfish and... and, um, Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have to go into too much detail about that, but that movie was definitely um, a lot of falsified stuff. Yeah, well, and it, but it, and it was fake. A lot of it was fake. A lot oh, of the yeah. video was fake. You know, it's it's a real problematic thing for a lot of reasons. Um, I personally feel that zoos learned the wrong lesson from it. Mm-hmm. I feel like most of them decided to lock down. Because they know there are people out there who no matter what they show will not be good enough and they want to avoid that kind of controversy. I tend to think that more zoos should be showing their behind the scenes and explaining what's up. Because if we educated people, then it wouldn't look shocking when we saw, you know, something that looked – I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's – I totally read that article about the fact that this is good for the animal and, um, you know, I – so I appreciate that you're doing that, and I'm curious um, if you've met any backlash for that or if, <laughs> if you know, how, how that's going. Yeah, so a big part of of why I got into this field and, and the driving force behind what I do is that you're absolutely right. We need to be completely transparent with people, and we need to be able to show them these things but it's also a lot about the psychology of it because someone's going to see a mesh fence or bars and they're going to think, oh, it's locked in. It's a cage. It's all about the verbiage and the word. And it doesn't matter whether or not you're showing someone behind the scenes or, or if they are, you know, they catch a glimpse of something. People are going to make their own perceptions because that's what their brains have trained them to do. That's just human nature. So, a big part of doing, you know, this kind of behind the scenes content and and I'm not going to say expose because it's not exposing anything. It's just being realistic about what happens. Um, but a big part of, of doing that is all about changing the mindset. So when people do see something, they automatically click and think, oh, that this is why protected contact is good for this animal. And that's why this is a normal, healthy thing for this species instead of like, oh, cage, it's locked in, it's trapped. Um And so that's why I do what I do. And that's how I try to approach it with people. But yes, there are definitely times where it's like, Taylor, we can't show that. We're afraid we can't control that message. We don't want to share this or don't want to share that. And it doesn't bother me at all to push back if I truly believe in something. And I think that more so than anything, showing what it means to be a zoo and what it means to be a conservation organization and and conservation education is all about transparency and forming new ideas and new ways of thinking. Like zoos have not always been the way that they are now. Um, No. (laughs) I I would not have been doing this podcast, you know, two decades ago, probably. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, things were (laughs) even more secretive, but not just about how we take care of the animals, but um, in the 20s and 30s, instead of having, you know, naturalistic habitats like you see now, we brought in to America painters from Europe who would paint naturalistic backgrounds to try to kind of reform how people saw zoos. And so they weren't just thinking, you know, like the Barnum and Bailey's kind of tiger in a in a small carriage cage, you know. So this is something that we've slowly been working on, but in my opinion, we are not doing it fast enough. (laughs) Um, Time to move rapidly, things change rapidly. With social media being as prominent as it is with, you know, things like podcasts and Instagram and lives, 
in order to stay relevant and, and for conservation education to stay on target with the society, we've got we've to open ourselves up to these things. And we've got to realize we can't control everyone's perspective, but we can give them information to form new perspectives. And that's what, that's what my ultimate goal is. Absolutely. And we need to accept that some people will just not. And oh, that's yeah. okay. Um, I, I've had multiple people come at me well, you know, on Instagram, <laughs> and I am happy to engage them. As long as it can stay civil, I'm happy to engage. And I know all my little facts and all my little information. And sometimes it makes a difference. And sometimes people look. And sometimes people just ignore everything you say. And and that's okay. And then they're going to call you some naughty words yep. and you have to block them. And that's okay. That's, <laughs> there are people like that. Like that's true of anything. Absolutely. Um, you know, one example that I, I like to give is um, I know of a zoo that is very good at breeding sloths. They just have a hugely successful uh, sloth breeding program. And when you go to their behind the scenes sloth area, it is a carrier and a single limb down to the concrete ground for each sloth for when it needs to go potty. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing else. I mean, obviously, they have food, water, that kind of stuff. Uh, and the reason why it is that way is because they were not breeding when it was not that way. When you tried to put them in a fake, um, you know, all these yeah. trees everywhere and all that kind of stuff, they, for whatever reason, were not engaging in breeding behavior. And this zoo figured that out and put them in a much more utilitarian setup and now they're breeding like gangbusters. And, you know, breeding behavior is generally considered one major sign that animals are, are doing okay and are being, you know, well taken care yeah. of and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, I wish that more zoos would take the time to explain that Absolutely. and show that and help fight the um, – you know, anthropomorphism that we all tend to yeah. do, even when we try not to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's very cool that you're at least getting some of that out there. Good for you. Yeah, I, I definitely do my best. It's not always met with, oh, yeah, like you're doing a great job. It's usually met with Taylor, slow down. <laughs> Taylor, <laughs> take a chill pill. And I'm like, guys, no, this is all my brain thinks about all the time. And, you know, it's because people come to the zoo for a day. You are there on average four hours. And with a study that says people spend on average about 17 seconds at an exhibit looking at an animal, it's not enough that people are coming in and just walking through the zoo or spending four hours there. We've got to learn to connect and reach with, you know, reach our audiences in a different way, in an innovative way, in a way that's just so in their face that it becomes a part of their daily lifestyle. And, you know, you only do that by pushing hard and, and pushing forward and, and really making people, and it's not even making people, it's opening up the possibility for people to have more questions. Because what's happening now is people have questions that they aren't being given the answers to, so they come up with their own answers and look you oh, know, where that gets us. Um, all, I, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Um, Anything that has to do with zoos, aquariums, you know, animals or conservation in general, it is usually one extreme or the other. You are either all for it and it's just what you bleed and every decision in your life is made thinking about conservation. Or you just think that like, oh, this is just so dramatic. This is not necessary. I don't really care about animals. How does this affect me? There's no middle ground when it comes to conservation education really and and I think that's because we we don't normalize conservation education in the way that the way that we should we talk about it in extremes it's like oh my god this animal is there's only 100 left in the wild and if you don't care right now they're just going to be extinct but that's overwhelming for people like can you imagine being you know a nine-year-old sitting in class and hearing that and feeling like what am I going to do I can't do anything and that's paralyzing in a way and so if we're not involving them in, in every step and everything, and not just when something's bad, I I mean, I think that that's how animals go extinct. That's how, you know, we suffer really extreme issues with climate change is because we're not normalizing this. It's, it's all about extremes, and I am just not an extremist. I'm very much about meeting people where they are, and, and that comes with transparency, I think. 
Absolutely, one hundred percent. So let's let's talk more about you because yeah. I could stay on this topic for the whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> um, but so let's let's talk a little bit more about like just what does your day look like at the zoo? Oh gosh, <laughs> um, you know, like it's ever the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> that um, you know, that's what I love so much. I've been a member of the AZA since pretty much I was born. Um, I've been whether or not I was employed or not working at zoos in some capacity. Um, and I will say since the beginning of time, it's different every day. But right now, um, in my current position, what it looks like in this current climate with COVID and everything is a lot of reaching out to people and being like, hey, is this something we can make happen? A lot of coordinating programs. So we have a new adopt an animal program. You know, it's not the most glamorous thing to do, but just making sure that we have those encounters scheduled for that program. Um, a lot of logistical things go into my day. Um, and if it's not logistical, then it's like today, I was not back in the office until 3.30 p.m. My day started with a rhino face-to-face encounter. So I got to take a super lovely couple behind the scenes to meet up with one of our keepers in the rhino barn. And we got to talk all about rhinos and then head to the front of the exhibit to watch them come out um, onto their exhibit. So shift out onto their exhibit. And then straight from there into virtual steam expeditions um, with someone else that I work with, Thaisa, who's absolutely amazing. Um, So we back-to-back-to-back six classes um, steam expeditions talking about ethograms and behavior and why it's important to study behavior and answering sixth grade questions that are just so random <laughs> and off the wall that you never know what's being thrown at you. So, uh, from there it was a meeting and logistical things. And it's like a rundown of, Hey, what are you doing? It's like, I'm trying to catch up with all my work. Please stop asking me to meet with you to tell, to tell you what I'm doing. Just let me do it. Um, so that, and then to pop-ups, so doing more virtual content behind the scenes, which was really cool. Um, hanging out with one of my favorite keepers, MJ, um, learning about clouded leopards and tamanduas for a new Zooniversity program that we have started, uh, very all over the place. And then, you know, back to some emails and, and coordinating programs. I write a lot of curriculum right now with our new Zoo Venture program. Um, so putting together, Uh, a program on extinct versus extant species, putting together a program on training and operant condition theory. Um, Lots of things that are all over the place, but ultimately that's the way I like it. If I only have one task to focus on, I get insanely bored and just so overwhelmed and anxious that I don't have 50 things going on. So my desk looks like a tornado and there are 50 (laughs) projects going at once, but that's kind of how every day is. And I, I very much like it that way. Well, that's great. That's very cool. And um, I'm curious, on an average day, and again, I know that every day is different, <laughs> but how much actual animal time do you get? So, like I said, that depends. Today, it was almost every single second of my day. I have, and I can show you the cutest photo with um, our Tamandua, Andre, who I hung out with for like a good 30 minutes. He was. I need. I need to spend some time with the Tamandua. He was, I, oh, oh, I don't know if you can see. So, he was yeah, so, I can see it a little bit. Yeah, he was so, so cute. Good. Um, and then with our clouded leopards, with our rhinos, oh, and our so giant good. anteaters. So it was pretty much all day today. But you know, like Monday, I spent the entire day in the office editing content, writing content, um, putting together Zooniversity Edu crates. Like it. I wish that I could say that it was like a set amount. But it, it really just depends. And then sometimes I just, whether or not I have things to do in the office, I need to be with an animal. I have to get out. And so I'll text one of my friends or I'll go over to BHD and be like, can I just like be around an animal? Sometimes it's just going to sit at the Red Panda exhibit. You know, there's so much fun to watch. Um, yeah, they are. So it really depends. Right now, um, with not having in-person programming, we haven't um, started. So as an educator, you because you're not a keeper, you're not working with animals one-on-one every day. You're not cleaning them, taking care of them. But you do something called animal handling. When I was at Zoo Atlanta, it was a pretty rigorous and super exciting process to, to be trained on how to handle all of their animals and then to start developing those relationships. And then you have, you know, requirements that you have to spend so much time with each animal in the animal ambassadors department. Here... 
at Nashville Zoo. You know, we haven't started that process yet, but things look really different in the zoo world right now. And it's almost like everyone is, sometimes I feel so bad because I feel so zen in this environment that's so hectic and crazy, but it is, it is a hard time with a lot of adjustments. So I know that did not answer your question and I'm so sorry, but it's, so your answer is it varies. <laughs> yeah. No, but all joke all joking aside, you do have the ability to get out there and get some oh, animal time in it, which is awesome. That's so cool. So um since you're not a keeper, but you're you're out there doing all of this, what is your background in? Like tell me about your schooling and stuff. <laughs> so I specialize in something that no one has heard of or very few people have, and that's because it's something that's relatively unknown and it's relatively new. So Um, I grew up on a super, super big farm, lots of animals. Like I was, I remember one time when I was 16, I went through a really hard time and my grandpa didn't know how to console me. And so he just went to tractor supply and bought a bunch of baby chickens and put them in my bathtub (laughs) and was like, here you go. I know this is what you need. (laughs) And then so like everyone at school, everyone at school called me like the girl with the chickens in her bathtub because I like raised them or I would take them to school with me in little slings and goats and cows in my bed and animals galore. But I knew that I could not be a vet. I just, the thought of losing animals was really hard for me. And I knew that I just didn't, didn't want that to be such an everyday part of my life. Um, so I had no clue how I wanted to incorporate animals into my world. And it honestly wasn't until I was in college that I kind of figured it out because as I started college, I love psychology. I think it's so freaking fascinating, like just how how people react and why they react and the process of that and how you develop. I just there's and it's just like all a subtle manipulation that I think is just so incredible. And I knew that I love that component. Um, and you know, after a couple of classes, I was like, so how can I like put the animal spin on this? Because you know, all the while I'm still working with animals and doing things with animals. Um, I knew that I love to watch animals. So when I was little, I would go to a zoo with like a little camcorder and I would sit from a vantage point at the back of the exhibit, not where I could just film the animal and what the animal is doing, but also the people. And, you know, that's something that I've always done and it's been really natural to me, but I didn't know that I could make a career out of it until um, it was maybe my second year of college. And I stumbled upon something called anthrozoology. 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 All right. Well, I know what anthropology is and I know what zoology is. So I'm going to guess that this is a mashup of the two. Um, yeah, kind of. So it's a subset mm-hmm. of ethnobiology, which is the scientific study of how humans and non-human animals have interacted over time, how we use each other in society, what we represent in societies to each other from the super, super beginning of time until the very immediate present. So it's, it's a subset of that, but kind of looking at it in more of a psychological manner, so to speak. So it's how humans interact with non-humans and and what what those reactions mean. I just thought it was super cool and it's definitely given me a new perspective, you know, as a zoo educator now, but it is maddening at times because no one really understands what it is yet and that and a big part of that is because it's something that's hard to quantify. Like how do you quantify the human brain, right? And that's why I thought you would be such a cool subject to study because it's very rare that you have someone in a situation enough to get enough data to definitively prove something. And that's what science is. You know, it's definitively proving something. Anthrozoology is not so much that. It's more about manipulation and understanding and that meeting people where they are by looking at how people have been in the past is, is kind of the way I like to describe it. And it's really that that mental piece, that psychological piece that people don't always think about. You know, you can spew out 500 facts about your favorite animal and and your passion and excitement can make someone excited, but that doesn't mean that it's going to change something in their psyche that clicks. It's, you know, you can know every fact in the world, but that doesn't mean 
that it's going to mean something to you. And and so sure, sure. what I feel like I'm trying to do is make it mean something to every person that I come in contact with. Yeah, so that that's kind of what I do. Psychology, anthrozoology. Okay. So what is your actual degree in? Uh, psychology. Okay, cool. And then I, I think what you just said was great. I really do. And it shows your passion. It's amazing. But I'm going to make you do the hardest thing for you oh, now that we've good. talked a bit. I want you to explain to my listeners what anthrozoology is in one sentence. The psychological connection between humans and animals. There it is. Thank you so much. That is awesome. That is really uh, I feel hard. like this is something that a lot of people study, calling it the uh, HAB, human animal bond, also. Um, would, yeah. Is that similar, another terminology for it, maybe? Oh, no, no. Anthrozoology it's... sounds better. Or is this something completely different? Well, so anthrozoology is that plus a lot of other things. So there's like a whole list of different kind of psychological components that we study, but human-animal bonds or human-animal interaction, so H-A-B-H-A-I, getting those letters right there, um, whether it's um, through adolescent development or, you know, adult development or in times of stress and need, um, how it affects your health and your overall well-being. There, there are just so many different things that it all encompasses, I guess. But yes, uh, to short answer for your question, that also is included in anthrozoology. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. So what the heck are you going to do with this thing? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's the hard <laughs> question. <laughs> Life plan. Now go. <laughs> um, well, so I do, I am a, a planner, but also an adapter. And I think being able to adapt is to, to whatever it is that's happening in the conservation world around me is going to push me far. But ultimate goal is to become director of AZA. So Dan Ash coming for you. Um, <laughs> we'll take your job one day. Um, and it's really, I think to, you know, it's because that I so strongly believe in the mission of what the AZA does. And that's not to say if you're not accredited, that you're doing something wrong. It's just that I am a standards person and I like being a part of an organization that I know maybe a pain in the butt. And there are some regulations that I wish weren't there. Like, do I want to be able to just like walk up to an elephant and hang out with it all the time without protected contact? Of course, but they force you to consider the well-being of that animal in a way that we as humans just can't naturally do because of our desire to know and to be with them. Um, so, you know, it's it's to to become director and to normalize what our standards are. So to not make them something that's, you know, such a high standard that's impossible to attain or it's not normal or it's constrictive, but to make this consideration something that everyone thinks is is okay and wants to participate in and, and knows more about in their everyday life. Um, I think a big part right now of of what I do and what my goal is for, you know, the immediate future is to capacity build. So it's making sure people don't have to rely on us, on zoos and aquariums and zoo educators in order to learn and to grow and to progress. Um, I think giving some, you know, empowering someone to, to be not even a leader, but just a thoughtful individual um, on their own right without having to come to the zoo to see these animals, to care about them is something that's a, it's a pretty big goal for me right now. Okay. Very cool. That's a, that's a, that's a lofty goal. And, you know, and I say that in a great way. I mean, if you don't have lofty goals, then you can't achieve lofty goals. So that's, that's very cool. Um, how do you find the keepers and other people that you have worked with? And mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be present because I don't want to put anyone on the spot. Yeah. Um, but how do they feel when you start talking about anthrozoology and um, all of that kind of stuff? Is this something that people are accepting or do people look at you kind of askance and shuffle away slowly hoping you don't notice? I definitely get the what the bleep is this girl talking about? <laughs> like it, it's something that is just too foreign for some people and too, like you said, lofty and expansive. This is like a, I want to do it because I want to like 
change the world kind of thing. And that's daunting. And it seems, you know, I get a lot of, you're overworking yourself. This is just not, you know, it's too much. But then, you know, I get to people who are like, what? Like, yeah, how can I, how can I help? Like, what can I do? What do you want to talk about? Like, how deep can we get into this? And it's, you know, more so on the keeper side that I definitely get that where, um, like MJ, who I mentioned earlier, I went to her and I was like, Hey, I'm writing this curriculum. This is kind of what I want to do, but I want to do like a deep dive. Like, let's get into it. And she's like, yes, absolutely. What do you need from me? I'm so pumped. I'm so excited because for me, as much as, you know, my goals have to do with my my beliefs and what I think is important and is good. It it also has a lot to do with collaboration. You you don't you don't accomplish goals like this by yourself. You don't change the world by yourself. I hate people who have like that martyr complex and they're like, oh I feel this and I believe this so I'm gonna change change the world myself. I don't want to do that. I want to take as many people along this journey as I can and I want to get as many people involved as I can. And when you go to someone and you're like, hey, I really believe in what you do. I may not do it or understand it, but let's do something together. And and usually that's met with pretty positive reception. Sometimes it's like, okay, we'll do this one thing. And then maybe we don't (laughs) work together the next time uh, because it does take some buy-in being so psychological and mystical, if you will. Oh, I wish everyone listening could see the face that she made when she did that because that that was priceless. Um, very cool, very cool. Okay, so let me ask you: You have worked at Zoo Atlanta mm-hmm. and the Nashville Zoo. Mm-hmm. What is your single favorite animal at either one of those zoos? And I don't mean species; I want an individual oh. who do you love the most. I promise the animals aren't listening. You know the answer to this. I feel like I did mention Iggy from Zoo Atlanta was just, and for me, it was just, she was so unbothered. She gave zero. She's like, I'm a red panda. I'm old. I'm just going to do my thing and you can watch me do it or you cannot watch me do it. It's time for Interrupting. 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 Interrupting John. And if you haven't yet, check out episode four of the podcast, Remembering Iggy, to hear all about the life and impact of Iggy the Red Panda. Okay, back to the interview. So I'll say Iggy and then Thor and Loki at Zoo Atlanta are two Tanuki brothers. And I just think they're hysterical. And also just the fact that they're like a basal species is really intriguing to me. It's time for Interrupting. 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 Interrupting John again. Tanuki are a basal species. Wondering what that is? I'm here for you. Basal is a term used in evolution and classification to mean something that gave rise to other forms. It can be used at any level of classification, so you can be a basal family, a basal species, a basal group, etc. In other words, Basal species are species that still exist, but that many other divergent species have evolved from. Okay, back to the episode. So yeah, those would probably be my top three. Uh, I definitely have favorites at um, Chattanooga Zoo and at the Nashville Zoo, but I just had such a connection with those animals um, and spent a lot of time talking about them and watching them. And that is honestly the hardest question you've asked me. I also just love that it was Iggy because one of the things that makes me so happy when I'm at a zoo is the fact that these species or these animals are all ambassadors for their species. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Every single one of them. And not one of them knows it. (laughs) And that is amazing. The (laughs) impact, you know, I talk about this a lot, but um, the, the impact that May the red panda at Philly who made mm-hmm. me fall in love with red pandas. <laughs> the the pandas that were up at Franklin Park Zoo when I first went up there, which was the first time I saw red pandas outside of Philly. And then when I my eyes landed on Iggy and that, that was it. That was it. Those three experiences 
made me go from being kind of aware that there was a red panda, maybe a red panda bear, maybe related to a raccoon, I really wasn't sure, to the absolute insane human I am now with red panda hoodies and t-shirts <laughs> and posters and all that good stuff. And um, they don't know that. No, and if you could tell any one of them that now, they'd be like, cool, can I have a grape? <laughs> you know, like, whatever. But it made such a huge impact. And that is so much a big reason why I'm doing this podcast. Yeah. All of these amazing things that are happening in my life. And, you know, a big part of why you and I connected was because of all of that. And I know that the Remembering Iggy episode meant a lot to you. And oh my God. Danica has become one of my good friends through doing that. And like, so much of my life, especially in the recent years, is because of three zoos worth of red pandas. I love that. And they don't know. They don't care. They whatever, you know. No, yeah. And there's something really magical about that to me. Really mystical. As, as <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, for me, like the big connecting point for us was that the reason that we both cared so much, it was it was something that you couldn't describe. It was just about a connection with animals. And that's always been my driving force behind what I do. But, you know, as I became an educator, it was watching what these animals do for other people. And that was something that, with it, and I'm getting chills now and I may cry a little, but that's something that Iggy just did so nonchalantly. And I'm like, Girl, the power that you have as as a species deserves more respect than any lofty goal that I could ever achieve because it's really transformative. And I think that that you know, for me, that's why I why I have favorite species because they're species that or animals, you know, that I see just light something in a kid and that they have questions about, you know, and it may start because they're literally the most adorable animals in the world. It it may start that way, but that's good enough for me because it's going to continue into something. And I think that that was just, Iggy's power was incredible in that way. Absolutely. And I think a lot of animals do have that. And it's something that, um, like you said, it's really hard to quantify, but you know, I'll, I'll tell you another story. Um, up here, outside, right outside of Philadelphia uh, in New Jersey, is Adventure Aquarium. Mm-hmm. And they have two hippos. Now, other than Fiona, because of her magical story, <laughs> I, and because of Timothy, because he's adorable, I, I've never really cared about hippos. They're fine. They're cool. The hippos at the Philly Zoo are right before you get to Red Pandas, so they are my most run-past exhibit. Not because of them. <laughs> But because I'm heading to go see, you know, Kumbi and Jaya and Leela, and I've got I got to go catch up with my friends. But the hippo girls at Adventure Aquarium, Jenny and Button, are amazing. Jenny and, and Button, I, Jenny and Button, so cute. And I cannot explain what it is. I mean, they are cute, and it's a great exhibit that lets you get up pretty darn close. I mean, you know, through glass, but still. Um, but I love them. I love them so much. They make me so happy. And yet I can run right past, I, I, I know the ones at Philly are named Cindy and something with a U, Uma, Ula, Una, something like that. But whereas I could tell you like everything about Jenny and Button's personalities, you know, I don't even know the ones at the zoo that are right next door. Um, and I can't explain what it is. But yes, yeah, certain individual animals are just special. And it's not just, I mean, sometimes it can be a one-on-one connection. Um, I feel a very strong connection to Kumbi, one of the red pandas at Philly. And I've not heard that from a lot of people. I've I've not. But Jenny and Button? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Iggy, same thing. I mean, I remember when Iggy passed away, the number of comments and messages and stuff that Zoo Atlanta got was insane. And every one of them was like, this was my favorite animal. You know? It's amazing. It is something that, you know, most people wouldn't want to admit, but I don't even care, that I definitely envy. Because it's like, how? Like, how do you have just that much control over someone's emotions? Like, when Iggy passed, I remember one of my friends from Zootlanta sent me the information and told me what happened. I just broke down and sobbed so hard. My computer was sitting in my lap. I shoved it across the room, 
broke one of my keys on my keyboard. <laughs> but I was just like, no, it's not fair that someone who has this much positive impact and does so much good for people needs to be taken away. And I think that that, like you said, it's not something that you can quantify or that even makes sense, but that's why zoos are so important. It's because we do. And, and while I have feelings about anthropomorphization, if you will, I, I respect what it does for, for our connection and, and in a sense, their connection, because I do, you know, like Dr. Lily at our Red Panda at Nashville Zoo, she absolutely knows when the camera is on her. I have done so many pop-ups with Sloan and and she gets excited about the attention. She sees when I'm there with my gimbal and my whole setup and she's like, oh yes. And she's you know, more excited to get on exhibit and loves to come down and sniff the camera and, and see what's going on. And if Rowan tries to get too much attention, she's like, oh no, no, it's my turn. <laughs> so it, in, in a way, you know, whether or not it's something that's super studied, it definitely does something for them too. And I just, it's a really freaking cool thing, man. Yeah, it really is. And this is what you're trying to look into and like get to the bottom of more and figure out more, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us to be the superior species or whatnot, we suck in comparison (laughs) to animals. They don't need governments. They don't need rules. They don't, you know, if we just left them alone because we are the reason so many are going extinct, then everything would be, you know, all good for them. It's, it's, I want to know what it is in that resilience. I think that animals have in that natural ability to just adapt and evolve in a way that humans can't do in our current societies, especially it's, it's fascinating to me. And I think that we have a lot to learn from animals and there's, there's something missing. There's definitely a missing piece. I mean, animals have been a part of human culture for since the beginning of time. But there there's something there that hasn't that hasn't been reached yet. And I don't even know what it is myself, but I know that it's something that's worth exploring and and figuring out and talking to people about. Even if I sound like the crazy like zoo girl or like the weird animal kid, it's it, it may be something that now seems really strange and like, what is she talking about? But I promise you in a hundred years, it's going to be like, oh my gosh, here it is. Here's the answer. And I may not be alive for that, but I will be watching from somewhere. Like I told you, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes um, and I pulled it up to make sure that I get it exactly right. Do you know who Douglas Adams is? Um, I'm super, I'm great with Animal history, really, really horrible with human history. So no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're also, um, you know, not a huge nerd in the traditional nerd sense. So you probably know know the author of uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh my God. I love The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, okay. Okay. Awesome. Amazing. Okay. (laughs) So that the author of that book is Douglas Adams. And amongst other things, he was an avowed conservationist and he wrote a book that is very hard to find. But it's called Last Chance to See, and it is a nonfiction book about his travels trying to find, um, you know, species that were endangered and educate people about them. And it's absolutely amazing. But the quote that I wanted to look up was not from Last Chance to See, but was from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, because I love this so much. He says, On the planet Earth, man had always assumed that he was more intelligent than dolphins because he had achieved so much, the wheel, New York, wars, and so on, whilst all dolphins had ever done was muck about in the water having a good time. But conversely, the dolphins had always believed that they were far more intelligent than man for precisely the same reasons. And that's kind of what we're talking about, you know? (laughs) No, absolutely. I love that so much. And... I was having a conversation with someone the other day and I was like, okay, because one of my guilty pleasures and listener, please do not judge me. I love going on YouTube and watching animal attack videos and (laughs) animal attack stories because I just respect the power of animals so much. And I'm always like, you go like, look at this. And then it's just, I, the, it's a, it's a psychological thing, honestly, but I'm, I'm so obsessed with it. But I was talking to someone as I was watching these videos the other day and I was like, y'all, we, we would be screwed if we did not have technology and 
chimpanzees or gorillas could learn to swim and just swim wherever they wanted. Like, we would be so screwed as humans because they don't rely on the things that we rely on. Like we do for wars. What do you need for war? You need machines that we build. We don't use our hands. <laughs> and it's just all of our accomplishments are because of things that that we create, not because of our you know, what we have on our body. And and people say, you know, well, it's our brains that create these things in our hands. Yes, but it's just not the same, you know? It's, I would rather be a frolicking dolphin any day. And I absolutely oh, love yeah. that quote. <laughs> absolutely. I basically, I mean, the reason I'm a professional musician is I'm basically a frolicking dolphin. Every day. <laughs> uh, I do what I love. I work for like two to three hours a day. I get to make fun noises. I'm, I'm basically a dolphin. <laughs> I, I even in my show, I do a lot of stick tricks. So I'm literally just there doing tricks. And yeah, it, it all works. <laughs> Every time I talk now, I'm just because I'm very like, my mind is very active. So I'm just going to see like a dolphin doing flips, but with your head paced to it, like the little bobblehead. <laughs> Perfection. I love it. I love it. All right. So our time is starting to run short on this one. And um, so I want you to just, I'm just going to open the floor up to you. I want you to tell people what you want them to learn from you right now. Like anything that we didn't cover, anything that is important to you, stop making scared faces. You got this. <laughs> and just uh, just tell tell the people something important and something that is on your heart about all of this. Well... Gosh, you are really just like Anderson Cooper tonight, throwing it at me from all <laughs> angles. A little bit of Wendy Williams in here. I don't know who I'm talking to. Um, a dolphin, remember? <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's why this interview is so intense because it's a dolphin. Uh, you know, really, it's not that there are any super hard hitting lessons. I think it's just to be open. Whether you are obsessed with a specific species or you're obsessed with your career or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, there's so much more to animals and to what we do than just facts. So much of it is embodying what it is that you don't understand and being open to that. So I guess if I had to tell anyone anything, it's just... Be open and ask questions. Ask all of the questions. And there's no stupid question. And, you know, don't just ask questions like, how long does that animal live? Ask questions that, that your teachers or people like me can't answer that force us to think. Because that's something that's really important. And that's something that I've learned from my students more so than anything. It's how complex the mind, the human mind is. And, and that really puts into perspective how complex, you know, animal minds are. Uh, so I think that that's really important. Ask the questions that make no sense. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Favorite conservation orgs that you want to give a shout out to? Um, honestly, I'm so bad at this, but I'll just say the AZA in general, go to your local zoo, but don't just donate money. Don't just give a conservation donation. Go and be like, hey, I want this money to go to conservation education so that you know that it's getting in the hands of educators around you. We have so much that we can do and want to do, but, you know, it's not as flashy as a nice big new exhibit. So so go to your zoos and say, hey, this is $10. I want to make sure. What do I need to do to make sure that it gets directly to the education departments? Because we we need that money to to be able to provide these materials and resources for our communities around us. Amazing. And then the final question, Rossafari poop story time. Oh, John. Okay. So <laughs> this is horrible. I'm so sorry. It's not, not in a zoo. Remember, I grew up on a 500 acre farm in the middle of nowhere, Sherwood, Tennessee. Um, my grandpa was very much, if you want to love animals and snuggle them, you're going to learn how to care for them too. When animals get sick, like cows very big cows, you have to take their temperature the, wood, the way you would an infant baby, which is sticking a thermometer up their butt. So my mom, who, you know, is in the medical profession, and I were out, our big long gloves on, stuck it in there, explodes everywhere. <laughs> in my mouth, in my hair, I'm nine years old, my mom is there. <laughs> to top it all off, 
the next time I was sick, the thermometer wasn't thrown away. I put the thermometer that had the cow label in my mouth to check my own temperature when I was sick. It, I'm blushing really hard right now to those, to those of you who are listening. It was mortifying. It took a really long time for me to be able to tell my mother what I had done <laughs> because I felt so embarrassed and so gross. And after that, because I was younger when this happened, too old to let it happen, but younger, when my the last of my baby teeth fell out, I put them in Listerine overnight <laughs> and all of my baby teeth turned blue, but I just wanted them to be clean for the tooth fairy. <laughs> and I felt so bad that I was giving her cow poop teeth. And so I would literally instead give her blue teeth dyed from Listerine. I will never speak to you again. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was amazing. That was a great story. Amazing. That was awesome. Uh, thank you so much for doing this interview. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, it it's always embarrassing to fangirl because you're like, what? But I'm so thankful that I did fangirl and, and have the opportunity to meet you and connect with you and, and to be able to do things like this with you. You are a phenomenal human being. Well, thank you. And yeah, you are officially no longer a fangirl. You're a friend. So uh that's that's better in my book. Well, there you have it. Anthrozoology is real and it is awesome, and also very important to conservation education. You can check out Taylor on Instagram at ZooGirlTay and the Nashville Zoo at Nashville Zoo. Also make sure you check out www.nashvillezoo.org to see what's going on at the zoo and also to see a bunch of Taylor's incredible education work. Whoa, what's that I see coming up? It's the Stydirk. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.